This is football. I'm Kevin Clark. Sean Payton is headed for disaster unless one thing happens, which, by the way, is in his control. I'm going to get to that. I want to start here. Was going through week three of 2022. See if there's any lessons from this time last year. And there was. Um, and it's so funny because I think we get lost in the week to week nature of this. And, it, and, and I follow other sports in spurts. Any sport that's not the NFL, I have to catch up on like 10 pods at a time. Or I'll watch three straight Magic games on Orlando Magic, by the way, the most popular team in the world, um, on a Friday afternoon because I missed them over the past couple of weeks. And when you do that, you realize. And not that this is some great revelation, but you're a prisoner of the moment to everything. And I'm not just talking about us. I'm talking about any podcaster, uh, TV host, fan that you know, I'll listen to five soccer podcasts in a row or five college football podcasts in a row. And the, the, the one that was furthest in the past is talking about something that is totally dated and totally just completely wrong from a narrative perspective. And it's really incredible. But because we all sit around hemming and hawing with the NFL, we don't realize the tempest in the teapot we create every single week. So let me go through week three of 2022. Nathaniel Hackett beats the San Francisco 49ers 11 to 10, which I remember having seen the score, but I'd forgotten about that. I forgot that 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 score existed. Obviously, Hackett won two more games, was fired a couple months later. Niners made the NFC title game with Brock Purdy uh, and then ended up with their fourth string quarterback. The Bears won their second game of the season in week three of 2022. They just won one more that year. And the Colts beat the Chiefs. Colts finished 4-12, and 12, hired, <laughs> hired Jeff Saturday. Chiefs won the Super Bowl. So remember that when we're going through Baltimore's loss, Dallas's loss. Like These things matter. And it's reductive to say, and I've heard a couple of people come out and say, well, look, the Patriots, you know, when they were rolling, they did not care. First week of six weeks of the season. No, they cared. They just understood that this, there wasn't with, with a lack of two days in training camps, with the lack of um, a whole bunch of different rule changes and all that stuff, that maybe it takes a little longer for your team to get into shape. Um, but, but results matter, but you just have to understand that they're only part of the season can be a very strange time not to read into too much. What you can read into, though, is Sean Payton and the Denver Broncos being the worst team in football, being the first team since, I want to say, 1966 to give up 70 points, uh, over 700 yards of total offense for the Miami Dolphins. And I want to go through a couple of things. So I saw a quote earlier today from a coach. And that coach said, quote, an old coach used to tell me they never really ask about the labor pain. They just want to see the baby. So the coach who said that was Sean Payton and the old coach he's referring to is Bill Parcells. Bill Parcells, turnaround master, normally did it in his second year, but always had immediate improvement. If you read his book, if you, he had an incredible Harvard Business Review essay a couple of years ago about how to turn around a team. Couple things he does. Number one, immediately improve special teams. Number two, just tell everybody with as much honesty as they as you can what they need to improve on, find their roles, all that stuff. Belichick's done it a little bit too. Parcells is the godfather. Um, and so I thought there'd be a chance that Sean Payton could come in and improve the team, even if he didn't improve Russell Wilson. So Russell Wilson's 
passer rating decline last year was, I believe, the worst of all time for a player switching teams. Matt Castle was in that mix. Alex Smith is in that mix, at least since the merger. And I thought there'd be some sort of Parcells-esque turnaround where he just tells guys what to do and, and runs good schemes and has a nice run game and, and, and there'd, there'd be something there. And I think there are people who probably look at all first-year coaches in a new situation and say it's a wash. I don't view it like that. You might say Sean Payton is not a miracle worker. Well, he's paid like one and he talks like one. He came in and said that Nate Hackett had the, the one of the worst coaching jobs in history. Well, he looks worse than Nate Hackett. So what does that teach us? Um, I could preach patience because of all the false starts we've seen in this league. Bill Walsh, thinking a second season loss to Miami, and it was such an emotional drain. And I think he was like something like five and twenty-two to start his coaching career that he literally decided on the on the team plane to quit. He literally decided that was going to be the end of Bill Walsh. Got talked out of it. Became one of the best po- coaches in the history of football. Changed everything. Jimmy Johnson went one and fifteen his first year in Dallas. Um, again, Parcells struggled in, in year one in, in some of his places, including with the Giants. But that's not one-to-one. Sean Payton has no, should have no learning curve. Sean Payton should understand, even though he was just he was coaching two years ago, but also he was in TV for, for a year and a half. And he was inside the game, told everybody who could listen, that he wanted the Chargers job. So clearly he was paying attention to the NFL. Um, and so what we have here is, and I saw a quote from, from Peyton, I think gets to the heart of the matter, which was sometimes in this league you get, you get your butt whipped, but this was more than that. That's exactly right. This was more than that. This wasn't just a random, a random loss where you say, ah, this got away from us. This was like a, a sign of a deep rot, a deep rot. And you cannot blame Nathaniel Hackett for that. You cannot. And every single, I found dozens of quotes from Peyton about how literally there's just no room for excuses on anything, on anything in football. When he told Jared Bell from USA Today those things about Nathaniel Hackett, I feel like that was him trying to divorce himself from the 2022 Broncos. Well, the downside of that is that you've divorced yourself from the 2022 Broncos and you can no longer blame them. Um, I don't agree with Aaron Rodgers that it was to get a soft landing. I really did think it was just more of a, a situation where Peyton thought he was actually going to have success, which is even an even worse bad sign, even worse sign, I guess you could say. Dolphins today scored 70 points. The Broncos all season have scored 69. The Chiefs defense allowed 33 points this season. The Broncos have given up 35 in each half today. Just stuff like that. Just stuff like that. Going through it all, just like just mind-bending little stats about how miserable this was. So another stat. It's only three teams in this league with a Super Bowl winning head coach and quarterback. Napkin math tells me Kansas City has one pairing. Los Angeles has one pairing. Then there's Denver. This should be better. Like, I know I know that's a, a reductive, stupid thing to say. This should be better. And, and the floor should be a lot higher, especially if it looked better when it was one of the worst coaching jobs Sean Payton had ever seen. And that and the Russell Wilson had his own office and they were letting, what was it? They oh, blame the parent, whatever. Right. Because Russell Wilson was getting away with a lot. Well, I don't know what it is you're doing, Sean Payton, but Nathan Hackett is somehow out coaching you. So I'm not going to say it's over. 
I think this could be the beginning of a death spiral for a couple of reasons. Number one, Russell Wilson has a contract that is in a very strange place. Um, I was looking at over cap over the cap earlier today and they had a breakdown of it. And there's a little bit of confusion here on one clause, but the general vibe is that they need him off the roster um, before the essentially it's in, in early 2024. Okay. If he's on the roster on the fifth day of the league year, which is in March in 2024, then his 2025 salary becomes fully guaranteed at $37 million. Nobody wants that. Nobody wants that. It is currently protected for injury, which will become interesting. If he totally flops, do they then try to bench him because they don't want to have to spend $37 million if God forbid he gets hurt out there? Um, and can't continue his career. Okay. So that's one question. There was some confusion about whether or not they could release him with a post June one designation. And there's some option thing you could do. I don't know that would negate some of the salary cap hit, but it's manageable. We've seen it. Jared Goff is that, that dead cap has been eaten. We've seen some unbelievable dead cap, um, charges over the past couple of years. It's, 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 if you want him off the roster after the season, you can get him off the roster. And so they need to figure that out now. And I don't see a path towards that working. So then you get into what can the Broncos do? Because I don't think there's a quarterback. I know this is the grimmest thing I'm ever going to say. I don't think this, there's a veteran quarterback who is better than Russell Wilson that you're going to find. I know watching Russell Wilson, he's got no athleticism left. He can't make plays. The average depth of target is impossibly uh, short. They lost by 50 points today to, by the way, a team that tried to hire Sean Payton and Tom Brady and instead got Mike McDaniel and Tua playing as coach of the year and MVP and possible AFC favorites right now. They got that instead. Surprise. Um, there's only one path forward with all, all everything I'm saying. It's top two pick. This year, 2024, only path forward because, and by the way, I had a little jump scare earlier. I thought, oh my God, do they even have their, their first round pick next year because of the trade to Russell, Russell Wilson? No, they do. Congratulations to the Broncos. But my viewpoint is, and everybody says, oh, you know, look at Arizona, right? Everybody says, oh, well, well, uh, well, Josh Dobbs, need a guy like Josh Dobbs to tank. Well, Josh Dobbs won on Sunday because he's playing for his NFL career and he can still play. Um, by the way, Colt McCoy may have been the tanking option there. They cut him. Um, playing Russell Wilson might get you one win this year. It might get you two wins. It might get you in the mix for Caleb Williams and Drake May. If you want to play your young guys like the Eagles did a couple of years ago in week 18 and disgrace yourself a little bit, I think Sean Payton might be okay with that if that's the last if that's the the the, the last resort. I think there's a needle you have to thread that is significant and hard to do, but this Broncos team is just going to lose. Like that's the one they don't have the tank. They're going to lose. And I was at the game. Don't ask me why I was at the game where Joe Burrow was confirmed to go to Cincinnati because it was, I was doing a piece on, on tanking and I talked to Chris Greer and Brian Flores and a couple other guys there. And, and the players down in Miami. And uh, it was a really rough game. 
Like it would, they, those guys were playing their both both teams, the Bengals and the Dolphins were playing their asses off. And I think you and I think it's a joke, but the Bengals on the on the road to Joe Burrow that year. That locker room after that loss was one of the most devastated I've ever seen in my entire life. They wanted to win so badly. And you have to have a delicate balance of guys who want to win a culture that you're building and be bad enough to get Joe Burrow. He comes in two, you know, next year and then two years later, they're playing for a Super Bowl. You can't let the entire thing rot. So what Sean Payton has to do is lose a bunch, which, by the way, Russell Wilson seems to be taken care of. By the way, Sean Payton seems to be taken care of it. The roster is not good. He's already undermined the GM in USA Today, so like he clearly doesn't believe in that. He's undermined every single part of the organization. Um, it's already toxic. So just let the system work itself out. Lose a bunch of games. Try to develop these guys. Get them to care. Do something. But the only way this is going to work, in my opinion, and listen, maybe Sean Payton's just not that into it. Maybe he just wanted a bunch of money. I don't know. I don't know Sean Payton that well. He's been on my show t- twice for 15 minutes each. So 30 minutes. I can't glean anything from that. But I don't think this is going to work without a top two quarterback this year. Caleb Williams or Drake May. And that's it. That's the path. Um, all right, real quick. I'm going to throw this out there. Maybe I'll address this again midweek. We've not gotten to a situation where... Players are treated, and this is partially because of the salary cap, players are treated like uh, baseball players treat their guys at the deadline, where, okay, we've got we've got a guy who's got three months left in his career here in blank city. Let's move him for, for picks or whatever. And part of that's just because a uh, mixture of cap, because it'd be hard scheme-wise, because teams are in it more baseball has teams that are on the way to winning like 50 games, but I know oftentimes football teams are still in it at the trade deadline. Minnesota Vikings go and three Kirk cousins still looks decent, had some mistakes today, but can still sling it, can still run play action. If I'm Quezzy, who I think is a really smart GM in Minnesota who understands about a lot, everything about a lot of different sports, obviously football among them, but like he studies not just sports, but like, uh, you know, he's from wall street. Like he gets it. He gets value. Um, there's two things to know. Number one is I would trade Kirk cousins. And number two is I would wait to trade Kirk cousins. The flip side of this is if I am the jets or, or if I wanted to, if I was the Falcons, a team that is clearly going nowhere with Desmond Ritter, but has the capability to do something this year. If I was one of those teams, I would call now because the price is only going to go up. Because a month ago, we thought the Jets were not in the mix. And then Aaron Rodgers gets an injury. All of a sudden, they're a bidder. We thought the Falcons were not in the mix because we thought maybe Desmond Ritter had something. There's only going to be more bidders for Kirk Cousins. So if I was one of those teams, I'd try to end that negotiation now. I asked Jason Fitzgerald, who runs over the cap. Uh, what the cap ramifications would be because I put it out there. I said, hey, if the Vikings call San Francisco and offer Kyle Shannon and Kirk Cousins, what would what would he say? And honestly, we'll say, well, here's why it doesn't make any sense. Well, that's not what I was asking you. I was asking you, would he say yes or no? You're not Kyle Shanahan. Kyle Shanahan's in love with Kirk Cousins, the player, the idea. Um, 
Kyle Shannon also treats quarterbacks weirdly. He once, uh, I don't know if you guys remember this, he once traded a, a boatload of assets for Trey Lance and then just immediately fell out of love with him and never played played him. So, like, let's not act like Kyle Shanahan is some, like, completely infallible, rational, rational human being. I just don't know. That's why I asked the question. But everybody was like, oh, well, here's, he believes in Brock Purdy. You don't know that. You're not Kyle Shanahan. Anyway. Then there were people who were like, well, have you ever heard of the salary cap? Yeah, I have. That's why I asked Jason Fitzgerald. He said a team trading for Kirk Cousins would need $8.3 million. That's it because of the way his contract is structured. Post June 1 trade with no additional money behind it. Voids next year. Uh, each week, that number drops by $555,555. Okay, that's nice and tidy. Cousins would also have to waive his no trade clause. This is interesting. Would he do it for New York? Would he do it for Atlanta? Would he do it for San Francisco? I don't know. He's got a nice little life in Minnesota. He's got the, uh, as we saw in the uh, the great Omaha Productions uh, documentary quarterback, he's got a little shelf built in his house from Minnesota for his Lombardi trophy, which is, does not seem to be coming this year. But it's just something to watch. If I'm the Vikings, I'm starting the auction right now. September 24th into is into September 25th. Just start it. Send emails to 10 teams who might need quarterbacks. Send emails to teams that don't need quarterbacks who are in contention to say, Hey, if somebody picks up a knock, Hey, Derek Carr. Ooh, wow. Maybe that shoulder injury is a little, little worse than, than it looked. Okay. Well, we have Kirk cousins available. How would you like that for a second round pick? Just throwing it out there. This is, this is the next frontier of smart GMing is getting these guys i mean like everybody praises omar khan and he should get it for saying oh chase claypool for a second round pick at the deadline sounds good why don't we fleece the bears um by the way i asked for questions and i got 10 10 bears questions i feel so bad for bears fans um we're gonna get there um i had a third thing about teams that win the super bowl i'm gonna do it on wednesday I'm going to do how many teams can win the Super Bowl. Um, we're, I, I can't keep doing all these headlines. Tickets to the game, merch, meals at iconic restaurants, stays at Caesars Palace. All this can be yours when you bet with Caesars Sportsbook. Win or lose, every bet earns reward credits, which you can redeem across the empire. Now, if you haven't started yet, use the code OMAHAFULL and then... Place your first bet up to $1,250. If you win, great. You keep those winnings. But if you lose, you get your stake back as a bonus bet. 21 and up only. Offer valid and must be physically present in Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Louisiana, Maine, Maryland, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming only. New users and first $10 wager only. Must wager with eligible promo code BET. Amount of qualifying wager return only if wager is settled as a loss. Maximum bonus bet $1,250. Bonus bet expires 14 days after receipt. Tier credits and reward credits will be added to account within seven days after qualifying wager settles. See Caesars.com slash promos for full terms. Void where prohibited. Know when to stop before you start. Gambling problem? Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. Colorado, Wyoming, Kansas, affiliated with Kansas Crossing Casino, call 1-800-522-4700. Indiana, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Iowa, call 1-800-BETS-OFF. Louisiana, call 1-877-770-STOP. Licensed through Horseshoe, Bossier City, and Hannah's New Orleans. Maine, call 1-800-327-5050. 
or visit gamblinghelplinema.org. Michigan, call 1-800-270-7117. Illinois, Maryland, New Jersey, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Ohio, Pennsylvania, affiliated with Harris, Philadelphia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed calling 1-800-GAMBLER, 1-888-426-2537 or West Virginia. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. All right, let's do listener questions. Flynn. Let's start with two questions that you just mentioned about the Bears. First is from Tendai. So my question is about the Bears. So pretend you were the owner. Have you seen enough from coaching and the front office to trust them with a young, talented QB like Caleb Williams? And then the second one is from Miles, who asks, if you're Caleb Williams, you have to go back to USC if the Bears have the number one pick, right? Oh, my God. Oh, my God, the Bears. Um let me tell you something. I went to a uh, Temple Miami game on Saturday, and uh, I had an amazing time. And I brought my eight eight and a half eight and a half month old. Uh, brought my wife. Great setup because totally empty stadium in Philadelphia. Sat in the club seats, and uh, like had all the room I needed to myself. We were able to feed him on the couches at halftime. All that stuff. Awesome. The the link is a great place to have a baby when it's empty. Um, in the beginning of the fourth quarter, he had the biggest poop he's ever had in his entire life. Like by far, like not even, not even close. He had some lentils and he pooped everywhere. And it took us like 10 minutes to, uh, to, to be in the, in the bathroom there and, and clean them all up. And uh, I think that experience that just that 10 minutes localized isolated was significantly better than anything that a Bears fan had to do on, on Sunday, as far as the football experience. Like that's, I, that's where I think, I think they'd rather have been in that restroom cleaning up poop for 10 straight minutes at Lincoln financial field. than than having anything to do with the Chicago bears in 2023. Um, here's some stats. Third 30 point bears loss since 2021. Um, to be a Kevin Fishbane. How about this for Ollie Conley? This is just on defense. The Bears defense over the past two seasons under Matt Eberflus, by the way, defensive coach, 32nd in EPA per play, 32nd in dropback EPA per play, 32nd in pressure rate, 32 in pressure rate with four-man rush, 32 in sacks per game, 32 in yards conceded per coverage snap. It's a whole lot of bad stuff. On the offensive side of the ball, via Scott Barrett, Yard per game, yards per game via league average. So basically era adjusted yards per game. So this was last year. They were the third worst offense in basically the modern era, as far as that goes. Okay. And Barrett was saying, basically fields looks worse than he did last year from just an eye test standpoint. And I'm, I'm tending to agree with him. I've I've said on the show a couple of times I would still take a chance on Justin Fields if I was a, the type of team that 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 had a runway at quarterback and Atlanta would be a, probably an interesting place for him. Um, obviously, he's got tons of connections to the area, so maybe something like that next year. But this infrastructure is bad, and if I'm Caleb Williams, I would not try to be the savior. I would not try to be the savior. Um, 
you can come back. You can make millions in an NIL. He's on the Heisman House thing, making a bunch of money. He lives in LA. He probably has a very nice life. He's from, I believe he's from DC originally. Um, I know he went to high school there. I don't know where he, where he grew up. Um, and I just think that uh, the teams that might be at the bottom here, it's going to be a lot of accidental kind of lost seasons, right? The, the Bears, the Vikings, that sort of thing. And some are better than others. I think I would love to play for the Vikings franchise. That'd be great if they, if they, if they accidentally win two games and, and trade for Kirk, or trade Kirk Cousins, something like that. That'd be great. That'd be great. But Chicago, no, I, I, I don't, I, they keep failing their franchise quarterbacks. They can't fix. I don't, I don't trust them to keep me healthy from a line standpoint. I don't trust them to build a defense. Um, Maybe I'm listening again. We, I I make this point all the time that the, the guys tend to, I'm not wired like Caleb Williams. That's why I'm sitting here podcasting at 11 PM, but uh, I would not be so confident that, that I, I want to go be the bears quarterback. Next question comes from Joey. What's up with Brandon Staley, man? So Joey asked five questions and this was the best one because it was short and to the point. Um, Brandon Staley temporarily saved his job on Sunday by going for it on fourth and one inside his own 30 yard line, not getting it. But then Kirk cousins throws a awful goal line interception to, I I think it was Kenneth Murray of all people Um, diving interception. I don't hate, I'm going to zag on this. I don't hate, Maybe it's a zig if you consider my how much I like analytics, but I actually don't hate the process of going for it and getting one yard and saying we want to we want to win this game. The problem is is that everybody wants him to get fired, and like you heard it, like Strahan and like Jimmy Johnson was making fun of him post game. Like those guys don't really sit around calling for jobs, and that's actually the crew you lose when you do stuff like that, and so. I think we're probably even after the win, we're probably going to see a little more of a mainstream drumbeat for, for Staley to get fired. I don't, again, I go back to the one point, which is that there's a runway for him to win a bunch of games, but he's not going to do it because he's a bad coach. So like a better coach wouldn't be in the situation. Classic catch 22. Can't save your job because you're a bad coach and you should be fired because you're a bad coach. So that's what's up with Brandon Staley. Uh, the beard looks bad. I'm not one to critique that kind of stuff. He's got to he's got to sort that out before he's on TV by the wild card round. All right, what's next? Finally, from Cameron, I am a Falcons fan. I am not a huge fan of Desmond Ritter. I wanted to ask someone who knows a lot more about football than me about the Falcons' quarterback situation. All right, so Cameron has a couple of options here. I need to need to. Pull it up one second. He's got this. This is a gentleman who is, who has thought a lot about the Falcons quarterback situation. Um, it is. So Cameron says, should he go all in on Desmond Ritter and prepare for him to be our future quarterback? Hope a quarterback is unhappy. and We can somehow make a trade draft a quarterback in this great QB draft class. Sulk that we didn't trade for Lamar Jackson or some combination of B and C. So I always go back to something that, I believe Adrian Wojnarowski said it on Rosillo's pod. He said that the NBA and what his job is and what 
NBA team's job in a very weird way is, is waiting for the next guy to get pissed off. What does he mean by that? Well, it's the next superstar who says, I actually don't want to be here anymore. We just saw that in Portland where a guy says, yeah, you know what? I'm good. We're, we've gotten to the end of the line here. We're moving on. Has not really happened at the quarterback position. I do not believe, and I've said this a million times and people get really mad at me every single offseason. It's 100% true. I do not believe a team has ever traded a quarterback they wanted to keep. Never happened. Russell Wilson was Seattle. We saw what that looked like. Green Bay held on to Rodgers for two straight offseasons when when he he wanted to leave. And they made it work. That's That's NFL contracts. That's... The franchise tag, which it cannot be overstated how how much control teams have because of it in all things. Um, and because of that, a team like Atlanta should not sit around and and just hope it, that that tomorrow Justin Herbert's going to say, you know what, I just signed this huge deal. I'm happy in L.A., but I really want to go play for, for Arthur Smith. It's not going to happen. So... They're too good to get a top two pick. They're, they're better than the Broncos. I think what you have to do, unfortunately for, for you, I think, is there's going to be a handful of years. I, what I would do is I would, I would draft a bunch of mid-round guys, second, third-round picks that you like. But I think you're going to be on the veteran quarterback roulette wheel every single year for a while, where you almost become, after Ritter, and I don't like Ritter particularly through 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 three weeks, you almost become like a, a a junior version of the Colts for a couple of years, where it's ah eh, we'll go with Matt Ryan, we'll go with Carson Wentz. Sometimes some Philip Rivers, sometimes you have more success than others. I think that's the way it's going to go. I think that's the way it's going to go because I just don't see a path. I think the Falcons are good. They make the playoffs this year, but they're going to be looking. It's Ritter's the type of guy where even after a playoff uh, visit, you're going to be looking to upgrade. So I think that. It's a. I think the roster can be stacked in a couple of years. I think they can improve that defense, and then you got to just hope that Arthur Smith figures it out. By the way, why can't why going back to what I said earlier? Why can't Kirk Cousins be in that mix? Why can't they say screw it? We we have a we have a wide open division, especially if Derek Carr is hurt. Let's just go for it and try to win a playoff game in an NFC that Lord, who knows if, if it's any good. Like. I'd be okay with that if the price was right. If no, there are no other bidders. If the if the if the Jets actually decide that they they want to roll with Zach Wilson, they want to lie not just to us to, but to themselves and say Zach Wilson can be that guy. Like, sure, go ahead, trade a fourth round pick for Kirk Cousins. Who cares? Let's get into it. Up first, the Browns all over the Titans, twenty-seven to three. Yeah, a um, couple things on this. This Browns defense is nasty, man. And this is something I said. Uh, last week that I think the Browns are going to contend legitimately for for the division, despite Deshaun Watson, he's going to be a liability. And that's, that's why it's the worst contract in sports. I mean, I'm sorry, excuse me. Let me rephrase that. There's a lot of reasons it's the worst contract in sports, but one of them is that if you pay a guy a historic amount of money, he can't be the reason you might lose games. And today he was not. He was he was as sharp as he's been. He had that one play where he kind of threw the ball backwards. I don't know if you guys saw it online or anything. Um, but let's put that let's put that aside for a second. He he was good on Sunday. But this defense is the type of defense that legitimately can compete for 
like a Super Bowl if you have above average quarterback play. And I'm not week in, week out comfortable saying they're going to get that. And that's that's why I keep going back to that point. But this defense, man, Miles Garrett is is, is I had a couple of questions and maybe I'll get to midweek on who the defensive player of the year is. And there's three guys right now, TJ Watt, Miles Garrett, and Micah Parsons, although Parsons just disappeared on Sunday, um, who can wreck every single play. And Jim Schwartz is an awesome coordinator right off the bat. Um, and so, yeah, I just, I mean, by the Titans disappointed. Ryan Tannehill took an awful sack to end the first half. And I, after that, I, I had seen enough, but this, this Browns team looks really sharp. Talking about that Browns defense at one point, there was a graphic on the screen that said it was the Browns defense first snap in the red zone all season, which is an insane stat in week three. Uh, up next, Packers were down 17, nothing in the fourth quarter, came back to beat the Saints 18, 17. Yeah, um, weird game because Derek Carr got hurt. Uh, I like the the toughness that, that the Packers showed. That game looked cooked for a long time. They had that weird trick play to, where where uh, where Wicks was wide open and, and Love kind of slipped on on the quarterback throwback kind of thing. Um, these are the kind of games the Packers should win. Frankly, um, they're a better team than the Saints. I was disappointed for a long time. You take the win. By the way, I just want to address this real quick. Uh, that Derek Carr injury is significant because it removes Jameis Winston from the trade market. And he was a guy who was kind of the minor league version of, of Kirk Cousins, where he could have gone and been a Jets candidate. He could have been a, a candidate for some of these other teams that are looking. So obviously it changes the trajectory, trajectory of the Saints, but he also changes the trajectory of maybe some of these AFC teams. Up next, the Jets lose to the Patriots for the 15th straight time, 15-10. I just can't do this anymore. I I just I can't watch Zach Wilson anymore. Like I I think I might, I think I might have to go out of my way to stop watching. Like just not just not watching. The good news is is that uh, I live in I live a little north of New York City, and so the Jets are always on the network TV. So when I'm watching MultiView, I can't get them. So I either have to turn on my second TV onto that and hook the cable up, or watch on my laptop um, with uh, with. Paramount Plus, I guess, right with the um with with in here, and uh, I just pointed at my laptop and said in here, like you guys could see it listening on your podcast. Anyway, um, so I can actually pretty easily not watch the Jets for the rest of the season, and if the Zach Wilson thing keeps going, I might I might make it a rule. That's my take on this game. The Jets have Joe Namath live tweeting the game on Twitter, calling out coaches and the GM. And at one point, he tweeted that Zach is making choices that are not intuitive to the quarterback position. Uh, up next, staying in the AFC East, Bills all over the Commanders, thirty-seven to three. So, Eric Bieniemy, and I, the whole po- the point of the, the of this whole this whole segment was to just do these quick quick hits. But I have so many takes. Eric Bieniemy got in the news cycle for being too hard on players. And I was me and Steven Ruiz, my then colleague were at practice those two days where he was, he was that, 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 that storyline was at its height. And Sam Howell would not get rid of the damn ball. And I wanted to get my whistle out and, and blow it dead and bring everybody in and start yelling like Eric B did too. Okay. And since then we've been in a little text chain, me and a few other, few other folks because we were just could not stop talking about how Sam Howell would not get rid of the ball. And I knew there was going to be significant pressure. I believe it was the second most pressure 
on record for a quarterback today because the Bills D-line, who were middle of the road in pressure rate coming into this, were able to pin their ears back and go. And Sam Howell, um, even though, by the way, he got rid of the ball on uh, time to throw, on average time to throw was actually quite quick. Um, there were just plays he just doesn't throw, pull the trigger. And those are the plays where the Bills were making him pay. Um, and so, uh, yeah, pressure remains a problem for how, um, he just, the absurd percentage of his pressures and in sacks, I just throw the ball somehow. Texans get their first win. They beat the Jaguars 37, 17. CJ Stroud is awesome. CJ Stroud is awesome. And like, I, 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 when I was going through this, and I was thinking, I, I, I feel bad because there's just some games they're just not going to get the attention they deserve. Um, Stroud is putting up like historic numbers. Uh, I believe he's the third rookie in history to have 900 passing yards his first three games. Uh, Cam Newton and Justin Herbert are the other two. Saw J.J. Watt shouting out C.J. Stroud. I know he's a Texans guy, but still that's significant. Um, the other side, like, Jacksonville, I I don't just felt incomplete. I don't want I don't want to overstate anything because of what I said at the beginning, where there's all these just weird performances in September and they just happen. I mean, my my maybe they should hire and fire Urban Meyer again. Maybe that's that's the juice that they were lacking. Um, but I don't know. I it just um, I feel like a lot of people took for granted they were going to take an even further step up this year, and I'm not. I, I, I picked them to make the playoffs only because of the division they were in, not because I was so unbelievably impressed with where they were as a franchise. And I'm I'm not writing them off or anything, but today was bad. Colts beat the Ravens in overtime, 22-19. Awful, 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 awful. Like, I think the Ravens were down seven starters, but the, the Colts were, were down to Gardner Minshew. Um yeah, there should have been a pass interference in overtime, but why were you in overtime against Gardner Minshew and the Colts? He, he did a Daniel Lowski and stepped out of bounds under pressure in the end zone. Like, they, they, you got to close these games, man. Um, hated this game. I watched almost every second of it uh, on one of the TVs, and I, I could not be more disappointed with the Ravens team. I still think is a Super Bowl contender, but you, you got to show me more than that, boys. Seahawks beat the Panthers 37-27. Uh, I did not watch one second of this game. Um, I I do want to say that I did see a tweet that said Andy Dalton addresses the eight false starts penalties, and I saw everything I needed to see. So that's my take. Cardinals beat the Cowboys twenty eight sixteen. Oh my god! So again, this is that this and the Ravens are the one of the reasons I looked up week three of last year. But oh my god, the red zone offense today. And Bob Sturm came out and said that they have the over the last two years the Cowboys are the best red zone team in football. I believe it. I believe it. But on Sunday they just couldn't do anything, and their routes were bad. The play calling was bad. It felt like they were just playing this weird game of pickup hoops in the in, within the ten yard line. Micah Parsons didn't do anything. The run defense was just, I don't know what they finished with, but I was seeing guys, they were like, I think Josh Dobbs in first half had two runs for 50 yards. Um, I, I, there was just nothing. I, I, I thought when you have a pressure rate like the Cowboys, you generate turnovers, you generate havoc. Maybe the Diggs injury took the wind out of the sails temporarily. I don't know. That was 
awful. I am as as a Cowboys bandwagon NFC. I mean, I, I'm not a bandwagon. I picked them to win the NFC before the season. As someone who let's, let me let you know the media secret here, okay? I don't pick the Cowboys because they're a stimulus check for the media industry, but they are, okay? And the problem is when you do it, even though it seems easy to do because of all the Cowboys fans, everybody just throws it back in your face. So you're out, you're weirdly out on an island when you pick the Cowboys to be good. And then, uh, and then you're like, well, and then you do, it's all cope, right? It's like, well, you know, Dak Prescott will overcome Mike McCarthy or, or my big thing on, on a show last week was that, you know, I'd rather have Dak Prescott than Brock Purdy. So it doesn't matter that Mike McCarthy's worse than Kyle Shanahan. And then all of a sudden you watch him lose to the Cardinals and you go, oh, right. It was Mike McCarthy that I was, that I was picking. Oh, right. That guy. So that's, that's, that's your nice little reality check on a Sunday. Uh, are we good, Flynn? Are we, are we out of games? We, we are out of games. I'll, I'll give you one more. You mentioned the Bears earlier. On the other side, I don't know if you saw, but uh, Taylor Swift was at Arrowhead. Yes. Uh, I am going to zag here and, uh, and have no thoughts on Taylor Swift. I think we're about to be in an absolute like mania here. Like We're going to have like, like Travis Kelsey is going to become 100 times more famous than he ever has, even though he's a Super Bowl winner who's in every single commercial on the planet. Um, we're about to see something in football that I don't think we've seen in a long time, maybe since Tebow mania. Um, our guy, Jared Payton took the video in the hallway. Kelsey gave him a little side eye. Um, but I think this is gonna, I, I, the only thing I'll say about Taylor, um, I don't actually don't know a ton about, like, I'm not, I'm not like one of the media kind of swiftologists probably have listened to less than 20 of her songs, which is probably on the low end of people my age. Um, but I'm excited to see her as a, as a, a, uh, a noted and uh, a famous football fan. And, and that's, that's the journey I'm excited to see in the next couple, next couple of weeks. Let's call it. I think they're, they're playing in Jersey next week. That they are Sunday night. She, she will be, I, I, my guess is the cameras will find her. All right. We'll be back midweek. Mina Kimes is joining us for the midweek episode. I have not done a piece of content on my show with her since December on the old show. Um, so thrilled, thrilled, thrilled to do it. We will see you then. This has been, this is football. Thank you to miles and Flynn. See you in a couple days. Yeah.